Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself. I'm your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Joey of Rockledge. Hello. This week's guest comes to us from the circle of friends, Kathy Namey, who was on this podcast not long ago, along with her husband, Issam, introduced me to Dr. Sona Bhatnagar. And Sona has quite the story for you. On the surface, it does not seem ticklish in the slightest. 12 years ago, her husband was killed in a motorcycle accident. Just 10 months later, her son died of bone cancer. Not surprisingly, she fell into a pit of despair. But time, willpower, self-reflection, and a conscious acceptance of what had happened to her brought her back from the edge. She wrote about her experience in a book called Grief Healed, a physician's guide to dealing with grief and thriving. She's got a blog and a website called griefhealed.com. We all know people who have lost loved ones. Uh, in my family in particular, we recently lost my brother-in-law a couple years ago. And so we invited Sona onto the program to talk to us about what happens when the tickle seems all but gone and how to get it back. Welcome to the show, Sona. It's great to have you. Hi, Duff and Joey. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to talk to you both today and to the listeners also. Great. We're excited to have you. After present moment, traveling town to town, the mystery of the motion right here, right now. Right here, right now. Whoa, right here, right now. So, I let off there with the tragic part of your story, uh, Sona. Um, Tell us, fill, fill out the picture for us. Tell us a little bit more about you. Uh, and then we can uh, get to the grief stuff in time. Okay, but I have to tell you, I love your opening music, by the way. It's so <laughs> fun and uplifting, and I don't even want it to stop, but oh, time to talk. So, uh, so you know what? Thank you. Uh, we asked uh, our friends in Toronto, a uh, blues uh, singer and guitarist, uh, back at, when we started this podcast. I've been fans of them for uh, 30 years and it was during uh, quarantine, and I got in touch with them, and I said, "I bet you're not doing anything right now." <laughs> and um, and as as musicians and performers, it, it it I thought they would they would be just chomping at the bit to to get some music going. And I asked them if they'd write the theme song. It's amazing. It's the best thing ever. I loved it. I did yeah. not want it to stop. I'm like, keep going. <laughs> they have more music. They're great all the way. We drove to Canada to to see them. They are amazing. Well, thanks for telling me because I'm going to yes. listen to them now. Yeah. Um, so, so you asked me to tell about myself a bit. Um, mm. Hello, everyone. Again, my name is Sona Bhatnagar. Uh, my parents are originally from India. And I tell you this because my book has a lot of spir spirituality in it, not religion, but spiritual. 
I was born in Nairobi, Kenya and moved to the States when I was 10 years old. I did my medical training at the University of Florida and moved to Maryland about 30 years ago uh, when I got married. Um, I had three huge losses, which I'll talk about shortly, that propelled me to write the book called Grief Healed. And again, I have, I have to warn you, it's a spiritual book, it's a memoir, and it's a self-help book. I have a lot of left brain people saying, there's a lot of spirituality in there, and the right brain people just love <laughs> it. And that's because as I was going through these losses, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, kept warning me about my losses, which were coming up. And of course, I chose to listen and chose to ignore, I should say, not listen. I chose to ignore it. So this book is also a way for me to tell people to listen to that inner voice. It's real. And if that didn't top it off, I had a near-death experience that pretty much clinched the deal after that. And I tell oh you, nothing like having a near-death experience. Um, it proved to me more than ever that we never die. You know, our souls are limitless, endless, timeless, imperishable. And this is where my Indian culture comes in. And, and I want to tell people that, yes, you're going to meet your loved ones, your family, your friends, your pets. Everyone you've known in your lifetime will be waiting to greet you when it's your turn to go home. And I kind of want to tell people death is only the beginning. It's, it's actually a doorway to the other side to bring a fully etheric being, you know, it's all love and light and, and love. It's like, I know you keep saying on your podcast, Joey's just love and <laughs> that's how you need to be Joey. It's all love on the other side, love and bliss. And, and also to tell people, no matter what our everyday living situation is as humans, we need to remember that we are spirit first having a human experience. So the book is all about all of that stuff. And, and I wrote the book because, um, as you sort of mentioned, things happened to me in my life that went from bad to worse. And um, I found out my husband, who was who was who I love more than life itself, had cheated on me. And then a few months after, yeah, <laughs> a few months after that, my 16-year-old son was diagnosed with bone cancer, which had already spread when we found it. Um, mm -hmm. A few months after that, my husband was killed instantly in a motorcycle accident. And a few months after that, my son died after suffering horrendous rounds of radiation and chemo. So all of these things, like the affair, the death of the husband, death of child, all of these happened within 18 months. And it was very devastating. And honestly, I was trying to get hope. I wanted someone to tell me something positive, like that I was going to do better, that not only was I going to survive, but I was going to thrive. And, and honestly, when my husband died in 2011, I went through all sorts of websites and groups, and I really couldn't find anything that kind of would give me a light at the end of the tunnel because I wanted hope and I wanted to know that I was going to do better than I currently was, and, and I couldn't find anything. So I started doing stuff on my own, which is the basis of this book. Um, and, 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 you know, as I started getting better, people would ask me questions like, why are you so happy your husband died or your son died? And, <laughs> And how come you're not blaming God? And I had a woman who, who was who had, who was 96 year old mother, died two years two years before, and she was telling me she was crying every day because she couldn't get out of her depression. She was stuck in that grief, and it kept going on like that. You know, someone had lost their spouse, they went through a divorce, lost their job, somebody lo they loved died, and and you know we all know lots and lots of people are stuck in grief and they don't know how to go on and. 
And I sort of realized my husband and son didn't die for a reason. I, 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 I couldn't just sit around twiddling my fingers. I had to help people through their grief and loss. And so I wrote this book and it's a, again, a memoir, a self-help spiritual. And I, I wanted to tell people, look, this and this happened to me. My life wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfectly balanced. I'm not perfect. And life was not all goody goody either. It wasn't boom, boom. One day I was sad. And the next day I was miraculously happy. Um, but that, there's a process to the grief. There's a beginning stage. There's an intermediate stage. But that, you know, my life moved on and I re-emerged, you know, joyful and happy and excited. And um, I wanted to share what happened to me. And I did some really stupid things and, and I did some brilliant things. So I'm sharing all that. And I wanted people to have an aha moment and to say, well, if she went through all that shit and came out, okay, maybe I should try her <laughs> suggestions, you know, it so, made her feel better. So what, if you could just tell us, if we can just back up just a little bit, what exactly is grief? How is that different from just like feeling sad or uh, can you just explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Like, so grief is, um, I'm going to give a definition of it. It's defined as a normal and not natural reaction to loss of any kind. And good question, because you can be sad, you can be angry, you can be depressed, you you can be, you don't want to talk to anybody, you don't want to face the world, um, you don't want to have to deal with anything. So um, it's whatever reaction you have to loss. And um, it can come under a whole thing of it. And, you know, people say, is that the same thing as Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of dying? And it's not really because she specifically interviewed like terminally ill patients. And, you know, she went through those five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And on our end, you know, while people who have losses have some of those things, um, they're not the same thing, of course. Hers dealt specifically with a person who's dying, and we're just dealing with all sorts of grief. So grief is, it, it can be anything, whatever your reaction to loss is, that's grief. And it's natural and normal to have it. So you can never compare people. You can't say, well, you can only cry, or you can only do this, because everyone's right. grief is different. So. You can't say that there's an average way to do it. So you've mentioned different, like, sorts of grief that it manifests in different ways? Are there, there are different types of grief? Yeah, well, there are 43 different types of loss, for one thing. And I always tell people grief is individual and unique. Uh, I've had people who's like two women whose husbands have died and one died after like 40 years, one after 38. And so the other one would say, well, I love my husband more because he died after 40. But you can't do that because the way people heal is going to be different. Um, how long it takes them to feel better is going to be different and never, ever compare because it's just never the same, you know, never. So and can you, can you, can you take us through? Um, I was just thinking there when you were talking about your own experience, I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I'd be able to work. Can you tell us like, what were you, how, if, if, if so, were you incapacitated and how did you work through that? Yeah, well, oh my gosh. So um, the first death was unexpected. Um, my son had cancer and he had end stage. So we knew he was going to die. Um, the people at NIH, I was in Maryland at that time, um, Bethesda, they said, you know, he's not going to live. So I, that I knew, I mean, it was still hard because he was only 16, but my, my husband's was unexpected. I mean, we were supposed to meet at NIH for my son's treatment. And I got a call from the police. And um, so that was just horrifying. And I can tell you that my grief was 
I felt like a block. I, I, I was heavy. I, I just didn't want to get out of bed. I, I knew I have three kids, by the way. My son wasn't my only child. He was the eldest and I have two daughters who are, they're all one year apart. So here I had a 16 year old who was very sick, a 15 year old and a 14 year old. And I didn't want to get out of bed. I, I just couldn't move. I was like, there's that, there's that one character in the Avengers or whoever, the Fantastic Five, that's who it is. He's made of all bricks and, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, it was, it was, I mean, just to get up was, was hard and to brush your teeth, forget about it. So I, I just couldn't, you know, I, I just couldn't do it. And, um, um, and then I realized that, you know, it, you, each person has to decide for themselves that they want to get better, you know? And that's sort of the first step towards healing. And at some point, you know, I was, obviously I couldn't lie in bed forever. We have things, you know, people have jobs. You just don't miraculously get money coming your way. And you have kids, kids who need things and young kids. And you can't just lie in bed. And that's when after some time I realized, what am I doing? I, what, how is this going to make anything better for anyone? And, um, and that's when I um, started my healing. And, and I, I kind of wanted to kind of segue into loss of some sort because i don't want people to think that it's just death you know there are 43 different types of losses actually and and your know, life as we all know can bring us many challenges and you know as i say unfortunately all of us at one point or another are going to have a loss it could be loss of a job or a dream maybe a house catches on fire loss of a relationship betrayal divorce health our own health taking a toll of course death um, I mean, look at what happened with the pandemic. We were isolated. We lost our ability to see people, to interact. And the Ukrainians, forget about us. They not only lost their whole house, but their country. I mean, that's just unimaginable. And so it's what you were saying. When we have a loss, we grieve. And um, and what, what happens with loss is, is that we get so overpowered by it, you know? A death of a loved one overpowers us. Getting fired, you know, overpowers us. Getting betrayed overpowers us. Getting divorce papers served overpowers us. Losing our identity, going to the bank, knowing our money is gone, financial losses, all of that overpowers us. And and in that current moment in time, we can't fast forward and think the day will come, which is how I felt, then that we're actually going to get better or that we'll have that inner calm or that it'll even be less painful. And, and I think what happens is a lot of us get stuck in the mourning phase, like I did, you know, we have a habit of asking ourselves, well, why did this happen to me? Why me? Why did I have to experience this? And, and on top of that, you know, some people are so challenged by this loss, it's so overwhelming that as we all know, people try to like counter it or deaden this pain with something destructive, like drugs, alcohol, or they just never come out of their rooms like me. They stay in their rooms out of misery and grief. And then there are people who are spending thousands of dollars a day shopping, buying clothes, jewelry, whatever it is that you need to do. Um, and, you know, we have, I had lots of family and friends who hadn't experienced that loss who would tell me things like, you know, Sona, time heals all wounds. And I really wanted to ask, really? What number is that? How long is it? Where am I going to feel better? And because a statement like that just, I think, creates the idea that a person just has to wait it out and they'll feel good. I so mean, yeah. What are the stages you've mentioned? Like you, you mentioned one you need to you need to want to get better. So, what would you say to somebody? Like, how does where does that even come from? Like the desire to move on when you're the brick man laying in the bed. Like, yeah. how do you? 
Yeah, um, I'm going to go back to saying grief is such a complex process that varies from person to person. So there's no like one size fits all approach. And I've, I've taken my strategies, which I'll talk about. And and the question is like, like, how do we, what do we want? You know, what do we want? We all want to heal from the grief and we all want to transform ourselves to become happy, positive individuals and have great recovery, meaning feeling better, enjoying fond memories without precipitating those painful feelings, understanding it's okay to feel sad from time to time, uh, finding a new meaning for life. And I realize it's about me reclaiming my circumstances instead of my circumstances, uh, reclaiming you and your happiness. And in answer to your question, Joey, you know, even when someone is feeling so horribly sad and miserable, at some point, I did this to me. I said, how much can I cry? Like, how much can I stay stuck in that dark cave? You know, even if the if the pain is so great and the loss is so devastating, I mean, heck, I have kids. Who's going to take care of them? How long can I stay aloof, depressed, hiding, which is what I did? Because that itself becomes destructive. And this is where I realized that, you know, you have to find your inner strength. And I'll get into how to do that. But it's I had to find my inner strength or as I called it, my divine force of will. And I had to say, okay, Sona, get up, get up and take that first step. You know, just get out of bed. Just that itself was a huge thing. Go brush your teeth, take a shower, you know? So whatever it is you have to do, just do it. And and you realize and as you as you do it, each day gets easier and each day gets better. But again, in the end, it's that person who has to decide going forward with life. I mean, I can read all the self-help books and go shopping or do whatever, but at the end of the day, it's just me and the four walls, you know, and I'm the only one who's in my head. Nobody else. Nobody else can tell me, be strong. Don't worry, it's going to take time. Or just replace, like if somebody loses a dog, a common thing is don't worry, you can get another dog. You know, nobody can tell us anything. And it's when you realize deep down from within that you want to start doing better in every way that's when you've started the baby steps towards healing. So you have to look within. And, and again, it's like when I was in my grief, I didn't want to move. And, and at one, one day I said, come on, Sona, I'll get out of bed. So that was it. First step, get out of bed. I didn't even bother brushing my teeth. I'm just going to get out of bed. It was horrible to know that the person you love isn't coming home at the end of the day. It's like, what am I waiting for? Who's, what's the point of making dinner? And then, you know, you realize, wait, you know, they have kids or wait, you have a job, you know, you have to start doing this. And so um, that's, that's what it is, is that you have to look deep down within you and start that healing process, you know, and, and are there, are there, are there, are there practical steps though you talk about in grief healed, like things, things to do? Yes. So there are many things we can do. um, And I'll go through a bunch right now. Um, First of all, I also people allow yourself to grieve. You know, Indian people, especially, they all want to like act like they're not, they're not, they're not going to cry. They're all like strong people. But you know what? Give yourself the permission to experience the pain and sadness that comes with loss. You know, it's such an essential part of healing. It's okay to cry. When my son, when my husband died, oh my God, I was angry, I was upset, and I was devastated. And I had several brawling fits where I literally went in my room and nobody was there and screamed at the top of my lungs and shouted to him saying, why did you die? Why didn't you die 20 years from now? Why did you have to die now? I'm stuck with the kids. Look at our son. And I have to tell you, I bawled it out. And um, I actually felt better after that. I'm like, 
oh, this made me feel better, you know? So there's nothing, it's not anything to be shameful about. I did it many times. It's okay. Grief is a heart emotion after all, and we need to let it out. And, um, you know, we have an ancient tribal proverb that says, before you see clearly, you've got to shed your tears to clear the way. So I tell people, cry, do what you want to. And people are like, oh, I have to work. I have kids. I can't cry all day. Exactly. A friend of mine once told me, Sona, when you have to cry, you know, set a certain time, say 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Just sit and think about it. How are you waiting the whole day? Focus a crying on appointment. You can have a crying appointment. So every day, 10 to 12, like blah, blah, blah. I cuss this person out, that person out, God, whatever it is, whatever it is. I release my thoughts after that. You know, then you have to go about doing your day, doing the best you can, because we really can't sit all day crying. We have work, jobs, children, parents, dogs, whatever it is that need to be taken care of. So, so yeah, one, yep, cry, just grieve. Um, a big one is support, you know, family and friends, because, you know, strength doesn't just come from the inner self. It's really greatly aided by those who care and who better than our family and friends. And these people will give us a listening ear, understanding, comfort. Um, I would say definitely go to support groups and grief counseling, because these are people who have experienced similar losses. You know, it's I find it's so helpful to listen to someone else's grief because I'm like, what did he do? And his well, what did she do when her husband died? Like, how are they coping? What made them feel better? And when you listen to other people, you realize you're not consumed by your own tragedy anymore and you're not stuck so much in its misery. So definitely, you know, you know, if that's an interesting point, when I, I, I spent some time in AA mm. years ago and one of the upsides of it sort of um, was listening to disaster stories that were worse than yours. Yeah. <laughs> so you could get out of your own spiral of self-pity by realizing, oh, shit, I actually don't even have it that bad. And death, you know, death is a different thing, right? Your, your loss of your husband is your loss of your husband. But, but just sort of some sense of relativity where it's like, I need to stop feeling sorry for myself because... Other people have even greater challenges, and um, but also in addition to the support from the group. So it's I, f I found a multifaceted uh, experience there, listening to other people's stories too. Totally agree because um, when I found out my husband cheated, which was horribly devastating to me, I felt like I was the only person whose husband cheated on them or who's. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny. Sorry, but yeah, that's yeah. stupid. I exactly. <laughs> And I was like horrified. I did not talk to my family and friends. And I'm like, oh my God, I have such a big ego, right? Like, why did she, what did I do? I'm the best wife there is. I'm, I take <laughs> care of the kids. I had kids. I take care. Of course, why would anybody cheat on me? Then only to realize the whole world around me has spouses who cheat. And then I'm listening to the stories. And that, and of course, my husband is like, I'm so sorry, Sona. I didn't mean this. I'm so sorry. Here he is apologizing. And then I'm hearing these people who's, you know, husbands and wives left them for someone else. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I have a chance to make this better. And now what the hell am I getting all consumed for? This isn't the end of the world. I mean, it's bad, but he's coming back. He's coming to tell you he's sorry, accept it, be grateful, go on. And I agree with you, you know, when you hear someone else's tragedy, it really makes it you- It can just put yours in perspective. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned when, when we first talked, uh, something about a bucket list, putting together a bucket list. Tell us how, tell us about that in terms of getting over grief. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do that right now, but I'll go back into the other ways also. Um, I came up with something. So I read this book. Um, I always feel God and spirituality. There's always some connection. You think it's a coincidence. It's never. I 
love to read books and I have this habit where I'll just read the first one or two sentences and if it doesn't get me I'm like forget it so one day when uh, my husband had died my son was doing well relatively the other girls were in school I decided to go to the library and I went to this new book section and my hand just went to this book and I pulled it out and it was called 20 wishes and I'm like oh what is this and I looked at it and it was a it was a book about these widows oh my god I could not believe it widows who had lost their husbands and they didn't know what to do <laughs> and that was it 20 wishes and I'm like oh, I have goosebumps even now and I'm like what the hell so I started doing this wish list or bucket list and now I tell people you know your list can be any length from one to two items to several but each item has to be a goal to achieve or a life experience to embrace and don't think you don't please don't even think whether you can do it or not just let your mind be uninhibited and tell yourself everything is possible and you know people say well what do I do what do I ask so I said, ask yourself, what will make life more meaningful? What gives you happiness and drives your passion? What are your biggest dreams and goals? And what do you want to experience in this lifetime? And uh, what, and for women especially, what did you do that made you happy 20 years ago? Because On our podcast, we would so, say, what tickles you? What tickles you? What tickles you? <laughs> That's exactly it. What tickles you? And um, for me, a big one was, if you were on your deathbed, what is one thing you wish you had done? And um so, you know, because when you do this, you realize your passion for life as you did stuff and you rediscover the things that bring you the most joy and lead you to your life purpose. I A U stuff. And, and I tell people, don't try and impress anyone or add things just because someone else's, you know, and you don't need to do anything earth shattering because sometimes the simplest goals are the most satisfying. Um, as an example, my bucket list was to learn to meditate, take an art adopt a dog, dog from a shelter and then I started doing things like meetup groups for grief hiking in the Himalayas now because I am a medical doctor I wanted to volunteer in a third world country and I wanted to meet a man and fell in love and fall in love so I did all these things <laughs> you don't have to be a widow and you don't have to go through grief to be qualified to write this anyone can and should because it's fun and but especially you know for those going through a loss it's so important because you know we're constantly thinking about Oh my God, I should have done this. I could have done this. He should not have taken that medicine. And it's just like, a, it's just like a vicious cycle that never stops in your head. And when you're finally making a list, you, it, it just gets you out of your headspace of loss, you know, and, and suddenly initially for a time, your head is busy with a list. And even if it's just for half an hour, you're not kind of going over and over what happened. And for the first time, you're actually not feeling bad. And of course, the grief isn't going to go away all at once. But you know, you've got to let that little light shine. And, and this is a break that helps you. So it kind of helps you find that breathing space in, in grief, it gives you direction, focus, purpose to life. Um, so that is a huge, re one of the biggest reasons I wrote my bucket list, which helped me a lot. It's interesting. And uh, in, I had a uh... A breakup before I met Joey and it devastated me. And I spent a summer just sort of sitting around um, and uh, watching Netflix on the couch and just sort of marinating in my own sadness. And ultimately what happened was I started doing things again. And there, you gotta, I guess with all kinds of loss, if you get stuck in the thing, even the making of the list is a doing of a thing. You have to just do things that aren't thinking about the one thing, right? Yeah. So it's giving yourself a task 
uh, and something that's doable uh, in your in your vulnerable state. Yeah, and it takes you out of that that vicious cycle and something fun that you're actually excited about. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can do that. this is what I've wanted to do. I've been, you know, and you you start doing it because you made your list. You can't just let it sit there, right? You got to do it. And that's what <laughs> I tell other people, what you said also, finding healthy outlets, um, such as, you know, journaling, painting, uh, physical exercises. I had a client who um, who was so devastated with his wife's affair and her subsequently leaving him that he decided to train and run a marathon. And he he told me I was so fat and I had no idea how to run. I didn't know anything. But then he joined those groups in New York, you know, where they you meet in central, you know, in the park and you start doing like half a mile, one mile, and then keep going on. And he ended up running both the New York, which is probably one of the hardest marathons, and the Florida marathon. And then he went on to get his PhD. So all of these things can help you. I have a I have a niece with ALS who's totally paralyzed. She's only 36 and the only thing she can do is really she can only blink her eyelids. That's it. She's uneventful. She's got a feeding tube, but she wrote a book. She wrote a memoir on her eye gaze computer. She takes chess classes. Wow. Wow. She's doing physics class. Heck, I couldn't even do a physics class. Um, another woman I knew put all her energy, her grief, her sadness into painting. And you could actually see her emotions. That's why I tell people paint, draw, make music. What is that? Is that the way you came? Um, I saw that you do Reiki and hypnotherapy. Well, you know what? Um, no, actually, I you know I think God always has this life for you. It's like saying <laughs> um, man plans, God laughs, right? So I learned Reiki and hypnotherapy and all my energy healing things way before my husband and my son died. Um, so oh, wow. I learned all these things, which is great for me because after this happened, I could um, you know deepen that and use it more and help myself more and help other people more, of course. So, yeah. And you're a hypnotherapist. Is that? Yes. It's, um, yes. I, I, I can, um, yeah, I have, a, you know, we all have, now I do this more mainly for friends, but you know, we have people who are like, um, are nothing to do with grief, but who, like I had a friend who was so scared of water and I said, okay, let's hypnotize you. And so you went in, because when you're hypnotized, you're not like, you always think people are putting a pendulum and you're in la-la land. Nothing, <laughs> never like that. It's, you really are hyper aware, if anything. So he saw himself in a stage state where he was like on a Viking ship and he was a captain and it, it, <laughs> it, it turned over and he killed all the people on it. And ever since then, he's been scared. So then I had him apologize, you know, like, for I had him apologize to his sailors who all told him, no, you were the best captain. Things happen. And so he came out of this and now he goes swimming in like, <laughs> bay, you know, so that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of people, um, people who have had like neck pain and Nobody can figure out what it is. They get CT scans and MRI scans. And then I'll do something like, let me do um, like, let me do hypnosis. And they're like, wait, aren't you a medical doctor? I'm like, yeah, yeah, but this stuff is better. <laughs> like, there's a guy with excruciating neck pain. And his mom is a psychiatrist. She put him through the rigmarole, couldn't find, figure it out. He, I, he came to me, he's a family friend, and I put him in a past life. And um, not to get into a story, but somebody had taken an axe from those days and hit it chopped him on his neck and so then I had him visualize that person who hit him on the neck and you know whatever they went through apologizing this and when he came out of it you're never really gone and hypnotized but when he finished the therapy session 
he was like, oh my God, Sona, my neck pain is gone. And it's like, <laughs> wow. Wow. They all help. You know, it's all energy. It's all healing. I'm a big one for that. And this is way before my husband and son died. So um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Meditation. Oh my gosh. I think this is one of the best things that you can do, which Amen. I because, you know, apart from things like breathing exercises for someone going through a loss, you know, to help you with all those emotions or moving meditations, you know how they do where you push mm -hmm. that negative energy. I just tell people, and this is so important for someone who has passed over, um, like if you want to communicate with your departed loved ones, try meditation because you learn to go into your heart space, which is your heart center. And then so you're no longer going to the mind at that point, you're going to the heart. And this is when when we connect the heart center, we're actually in the spirit center and it's the hub of everything. You know, our inner consciousness combines with the higher consciousness. And you, when you lift your vibrations, you can actually talk to your loved ones. You can talk to ascended you know, masters, archangels, and just, you know, try the meditation. And it doesn't be people like, I can't meditate. I have a monkey mind. You don't have to do, just do meditation. <laughs> Yoga, for example, or just going out and walking in nature. I had a friend who, um, who, did, who wanted to go do something to get away from family troubles. And a friend of his said, why don't you come deer hunting with me? And this guy has no idea. He doesn't eat deer. He's a vegetarian. He had no <laughs> interest in chasing deer but he went along just to kind of avoid what's going on at home and he was telling me i we sat up in trees for two hours we didn't see any deer but <laughs> when i sat there and the peace of it all it gave me so much clarity and you know when you go through so much drama and chaos and you center yourself you don't allow yourself to become total wrecks you know you know that saying as within so without as above so below um for lasting peace, you know, it's really is so important to sit quietly and look within. And I do truly feel that, you know, the answers we seek do come to us and prayer, you know, prayer, talking to God, looking for an answer is all, all part of the process of understanding. You know, what's crazy is, um, so you're basically talking there about eliminating distractions, right? And I um, know this business school professor who wrote a book a couple of years ago, and they took an MBA class. So these are graduate students. And one of the um, tasks they had during the semester was to go spend an hour somewhere without their phone. <laughs> and the reports from the students, it was kind of startling. Almost none of them had ever experienced it before. And so they're like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And, you know, hopefully most of us don't suffer that kind of technology attachment. But, but to your point, I think anything that, that we can do that gets you away from the distractions um, can't help but be helpful. Because like you just said before about the heart and the mind, the mind is what leads you astray. You are, everything is always okay, right? And it's the mind that does it to you. So if we can learn ways to quiet the mind, then we're on our way back to feeling better, regardless of what our circumstances are. Totally agree. And it doesn't have to be hours of taking time away, even for a few minutes, just to breathe. All these things, honestly, I feel raise our vibrations and you literally align yourself with the beauty and magic of spirit, you know, and God, whatever way you want to call him, he's right there. He's ever present. And he actually will come in and give us messages. It's just 
we have to listen to them and follow through. And, you know, once the messages start flowing, we who are suffering will find peace. And to me, peace is the first step to internal happiness. You know, what you need. Or it is internal happiness. It's it both. Is. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I was just going to go back to a few other things people can do. Sure. Also. Yes, please. Like all this mumbo jumbo stuff is um, because some people are there. I'm not going to meditate. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, something that therapists do a lot. Have you heard of pots, plate smash therapy? Works great. <laughs> like your husband, wife, cheating on you, best friend, whatever it is. Get a bunch of plates, write on them what you're <laughs> mad about, and then just chuck them against the wall. Smash them. That up. is a great idea. Stress, <laughs> anger, sadness. I mean, there are actually companies like the Rage Cage. Um, I think it's in New York. Smash right. there. They actually give you like baseball bats, like, <laughs> and then they stick you in this room, which is full of printer, old printers, of course, monitors, plates, television, furniture, electronic devices. Go for it to your heart's content. Beat the hell out of all the stuff till you're feeling good. And I think this is good. Obviously, it's short-term treatment, but at least you don't go home and beat up your husband. You know, it allows. I, I, I like when we're when we when we're for walks go for walks in the woods, and I think a lot of people do this. I like to pick up dead uh, <laughs> limbs of trees and smash and break them. Right, you're not killing anything, you're not breaking anything. It's already dead, but it's really it's a good release just to bust something. Yeah, and as you're saying, you're channeling your negativity where there aren't yeah. going to be consequences, and you can go home more peaceful. So, you know, it's great. Um. Another person I know does skeet shooting. You know, she just writes stuff mm. on the play targets. And <laughs> that's hard, though, right? You got to you got to have a good eye. Yeah, if you're good at aiming, I'm not. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, things like write and burn, write your feelings on a piece of paper, burn them. Um, you know, all these, it's so all these sort of things. You know, reading self help books are really. I read your book, Tickled by the Way. It was excellent, and I wrote your review also. They're <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Read help self help books. It's a huge way to help heal from from the grief. Um, and there's so many ways you can do it. And people are like, what do I start with what first? I'm like, I don't know. Ask yourself what you're going to start with because you're the best person to know what you want to do. You know? Well, well, that said, I would like to suggest to any listeners who are um, dealing with grief right now that maybe a good place to start is a book called Grief Healed, The Physician's Guide to Dealing with Grief and Thriving by Sona herself. You can get it on Amazon, right? Yeah. And I am writing a second book. So the first was a memoir, really, um, because I wanted to tell people I've been through it. Because a lot of people will say, well, how do you know how it feels if your son or child has died? You didn't go through it, which is true. You can't tell anyone the taste of sugar until you taste it yourself, you know, sort of thing. But the second book I'm writing is going to not be anything to do with Sona. It's just going to be a pure self-help book, you know, for anybody under any any grief, I'm still writing it. So um, that way they can just chuck my story out and go straight to what needs to be said and find the help that they need and guidance. So listeners, stay tuned. Um, uh, Griefhealed.com is the website. You can find her book. Uh, she's also got a blog and some other stuff on there. And also you contact her, I assume, if, you're, if you want to reach out. Uh, Sona, it was wonderful to have you. We don't normally uh, start with the non-tickle on this show. <laughs> we, we, uh, so it's a very valuable conversation and um, some great insights. And it's good to see that you are um, obviously back in full tickle. Thank uh, you. you have a kind of energy that's um, uh, infectious. It's irrepressible. Thank yeah. you. I love you both. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank Thanks you. thank for you. joining us. Bye. Bye-bye. Good luck. Bye. 
Let's, She's a tough let, cookie. So let's, uh, yes, tough cookie. Um, uh, especially considering like she's, she's a normal human she said she couldn't get out of bed, but if you're, you know, we all want to, we want advice. We live in expert culture, right? Yep. A lot of people talk about things that they haven't necessarily experienced. Uh, and what we, what, where we mo- most want advice from is from people who know how to do the thing they're talking about. And uh, she's bubbly, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, uh, you know, yeah, she's great. very uh, talking about the things that make her happy. It's uh, a decade ago, which is, se- seems like a long time, but you know, a, a husband and a son. Yeah. So for her to have, um, to bounce back, it's like, I, you know, wh- if I'm stuck in that place, I think I will go to her and use her strategies because they clearly work. Yeah. And I love that she said it's not a one size fit all, right? Like we we were talking earlier about how we live in a world where everybody wants like the average, where they're all talking about the average of this and the average of that. And that every situation, every human being is unique. So it's impossible to say that this will work for you or that your grief is like this person's grief, that all of it's different. Um, It's great that she addresses that and gets into it. It's important. So, so I got two things for you here that are, that are very, they're related if, if subtly. So one of the, one of the really important points she's making is if you can get back to your center, which is your eternal self, right? You can get past the thing that is dragging you down. So I've often described like when, when you break up with someone, um, and it's, you know, it's over. Um, you know, a lot of us think of heartbreak superficially. We think it's so sad. I wish I could have them back. And it's like, no, you don't because you've, you've, you're incompatible, right? So what's actually happening with, with some of that grief is you are, it's not that it's not necessarily just that you lost the person is that you lost the story that you were telling yourself mm-hmm. and you have to come up with a new story. And so the rejiggering of your worldview is just as traumatic as the loss of the relationship itself. Right. Um, it's different with, with death, right? Cause we, we don't predict death, but like in, in a breakup, you know, it's, you, you're sort of, you're realizing that the story that you thought about the future was wrong. Right. And you have to sort of get back to what you're being. So there's this term in um, Sanskrit is called it's satyanash. Satya means truth and nash means destruction. Right. So satyanash is the total destruction of whatever it was that you felt to be true. So. Um, whenever we are, have awareness so that this is a, a meditative and a, and meditative state thing, right? When the world appears to exist as it is, right? Um, you have all these beliefs about things and then something changed radically and it knocks your legs out from under you. Um, it's only when your awareness merges back to yourself into yourself, uh, that absolute reality remains. So we, so we experience Satyanash, which was often, which is like 
your your reality is ripped out from under you, but it's only your apparent reality because your ultimate reality is your eternal self. And on on a similar note, um, another way to think about that is that so there's what's true and what's not true in life. The truth, the one true thing is the eternal subject, I, the fact that you exist, right? Capital that, T, that, that, capital T truth. Capital T truth, that is unimpeachable, right? And experiences are fleeting. So by comparison, they are relatively untrue, right? So this is from our guy, Siddharameshwar Maharaj. And it's a bit of a mind better, but he says, the one who experiences the illusion is the true whereas the experience itself is untrue. That which is hidden or latent is the essence, the truth, and that which is manifest is untrue. So in the context of grief, it takes a while to get around there, but you are the truth. The things that happen to you are not the truth. and um, what you want to do ultimately is get back to the, your own essence, right? And because that's where the source of, and, and Sona was talking about this, that's where the source of all your power is, right? It's in the self. And we get caught up in the things that happen to us. And a lot of them are obviously traumatic, but ultimately uh, the source of all your power is the self. It's the truth. And um, when we let go of um, the experiences, which is ultimately what the process of grief is all about. Uh, you can get back to what, what is and remains and will always be true. Uh, the essence of you. I read something this morning that said, if you want to find grace in your life, you have to let go of your limitations, even your favorite ones. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's the same point. Yep. Right. All right. So we have a great quote here to end. Um, uh, the episode. And again, it's somewhat on point. It's about happiness. Um, but it's a great story that I read recently. I love it. Um, it's by a um, Vedantic um, master. His name is Sri Atmananda. And he says the following, happiness is something beyond mental pleasure. It means tracing the source of happiness you have enjoyed to your real nature. The incessant pursuit of objects of pleasure by man and the real source of all that pleasure are clearly illustrated by the simple story of a dog. The dog got a dry bone and began to munch it hard for blood. This munching bruised its gum and a few drops of blood came out. The dog immediately tasted this blood and thought it came from the bone. So it began to munch the bone harder and more blood came out of its own mouth. This again the dog drank, until at last it was exhausted and left the bone. Exactly the same as the condition of man, who hunts after objects of pleasure, encouraged by the glimpses of pleasure he occasionally seems to enjoy immediately on contact with them. Like the dog, man also takes the object 
to be the source of the pleasure enjoyed and pursues it with still greater avidity. But the moment he comes to understand all right, <laughs> that it was his own real nature of happiness that he was enjoying all along in the name of pleasure, the pursuit of objects stops altogether and he becomes self-centered and eternally happy. So find your center. Amen. It's where, it's, where, it's where all the good stuff is. Thank you for listening. We will be back with you in a week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your host, Duff McDonald, and me, Joey of Rockledge. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of the Sidemen, with Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. This podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Oscar Desiderio. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck Labella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com.